Hi, welcome to my CBT podcast. My name is Dr. Julie Osborne. I'm a doctor of psychology and a licensed clinical social worker specializing in cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm here to help you bring the power of CBT into your own life. So I'm going to start off today sharing an email as I normally do. I always encourage you guys to reach out and I just received a wonderful, wonderful email this week and I had permission to share it with you. Every time I read it, I get pretty emotional because it's just one of those incredible ones that just really blows me away. So let me start off sharing it and then I'm going to actually use the rest of the podcast to talk and answer the questions that are in the email as you hear them. So it says, loving someone with addiction. Hi, Dr. Julie. I found your podcast a week ago and I resonate so deeply with the information that you've shared. I'm so grateful there's someone providing this level of information on a more accessible platform. Thank you. I was wondering what your thoughts on someone who dates, marries, loves, someone who is in the early stages of recovering from an addiction. In my case, I finally parted ways with my boyfriend who is an alcohol addict. I loved him and of course I was not perfect. However, after a year, there was so much built up stress and pain that I couldn't take it anymore. There was a lot of lying in the relationship about when he drank, how much he drank. He had hid alcohol from me. He hid that he was an alcoholic from me and tried to minimize it for months before finding help. I was constantly worried and started to have intense trust issues and take on a maternalistic role more than an equal lover. He consistently dismissed my need for care and love because it was too stressful to deal with trying to recover. Him dealing with his withdrawals, pain, taking his medication that reduced cravings and vomiting. If I asked for too much, he would say that I was insensitive and that I could, quote, never change for him. I'm not sure if this has to do with addiction, but he was always distracted and looking for the next thrill, the next escape. I was so scared of being abandoned. Obviously, besides the problem of addiction and relationship, I wasn't the best girlfriend. I don't feel proud of the anger I felt when I found alcohol stashed in our apartment. I lashed out, but I was afraid of being alone. This was just the tip of the iceberg. After one painful week of compulsive sobbing, feeling bouts of resentment and anger, him calling me insane, I found your podcast. I realized that I needed to prioritize myself and put myself first, that I was deserving of love and care. I went to my first therapy session today. You changed my life. I'm heartbroken, but I see a way forward. Thank you. That was heavy. I said it always brings tears to my eyes, especially... The last part where she shared that she went to her first therapy session, I was like, you go girl, good for you. Like she is making changes. She hit her bottom of compulsively sobbing for a week. That'll be a bottom for anybody, right? And sometimes that's where we need to get so we can start going up. So again, as I read this, I thought, you know, there's a lot of great questions that I think would be really helpful to go over talk about how CBT can help walk through such a painful experience, a painful ending. And for those of you that are maybe involved with somebody who has an um, addiction that is in early recovery or is not in recovery yet, you know, these are things we want to look at and understand um, our role in the relationship, their role in the relationship. So I can relate to a lot of what she shared here. Um, You know, I had issues in the past of uh, fear of abandonment, not wanting to be alone. So I would stay in relationships that weren't healthy. Um, Also, my husband, um, 
has almost 30 years of recovery. When I first met him, he was early in his recovery. So I can really relate to what she was asking about. What are my thoughts? You know, who's uh, being with somebody who's in the early stages and recovering from an addiction. At the end of today's podcast, I will review other podcasts that I've done already. They relate to this as well. If you guys want to listen to some other ones that you can, you know, learn from. So I thought, you know, let me start with the first question where uh, she asked me what I, what my thoughts were on someone who dates, marries, or loves someone who is in the early stages recovering from addiction. So let me first talk about if you're dating or if you love somebody being married. I will talk about it in a minute because that's a different level of a relationship that there may be, you know, bigger decisions to make. But I can tell from my experience when my husband was in his recovery early on that I didn't have to question if he was in recovery and working his program, like going to meetings every day, talking to a sponsor. You know, we were part of the community. Uh, we went to conferences. We went to all different um you know, weekend retreats, you know, it was great. We loved it. But, you know, like you, you know, when somebody is working their program. So that's the first thing I would say that if you start to date somebody and they're in the early stages, you know, find out how involved they are, whether it is 12 step or if they're in therapy or, you know, what are they doing to get well? Is it their priority? It has to be their priority because without sobriety, they're not going to have anything else. They're not going to hold on to their jobs. They're not going to hold on to their relationships when it's so out of control, right? So that's the first thing. And it, you know, there's a lot of questions that are coming to my head as I'm think as I'm talking to you guys about, you know, you need to ask yourself, are you okay being with someone in recovery? You don't have to be. I've talked to some people who said, I want to go out and have a glass of wine with my partner, have a beer, or, you know, and I don't want that to be an issue and that's okay. It's not about judgment. It's just, that's what's important to you. So that's something to think about if you even want to be with somebody who's in recovery, because that's a lifelong commitment, right? That they're hopefully that they're making for themselves. You also want to say, you know, what can I do to be a part of this as well? So for me personally, um, I chose to get involved with 12 step when he was, when we first started dating because um, I wanted to understand more. Um, I went to the meetings with him and then I found some meetings of my own um, that were like Al-Anon meetings that um, I found really helpful. So I could go talk to other people that understood what it was you know, like and some of the difficulties and challenges being with somebody that's in recovery. So those are my first thoughts. My other thought, I guess, as a therapist, I would also want to ask, you know, is there an attraction? Because a lot of us that get involved with people that have addictions or other issues you know, we might have some codependency issues, right? So we're finding somebody else to rescue. You know, as she was so um, vulnerable and open sharing with me is that she was saying that, um, you know, her role with him started to be maternalistic <laughs> than an equal lover. And that's what happens, right? Is that codependency kicks in and, oh, I'll help you. I'll take care of you. What do you need? And we're not equal anymore because now we're just so worried about the addict and what they're doing and are they drinking? And then, like she said, she'd find alcohol that he was hiding. So, you know, it's a lot. I mean, any relationship's a lot, right? Any relationship is a lot to hopefully have healthy, work on good communications. When you have an addiction going on, that's another level. And you're going to walk, walk through a lot of probably difficult days. It's going to be really challenging and you really need to have healthy, open communication. 
you need the person in recovery to really be open and honest about how they're feeling and what they're struggling with. And you have to be open and honest about how you're feeling and to have a good sense of self-worth to give the person in recovery the space to go to meetings, maybe not, you know, have time with you when you'd like because they're involved in being well, whatever that looks like. So what are you going to do for yourself? You're not just sitting home waiting for that person to come back. As she said, also, you know, she probably stayed in this relationship too long because she was so scared of being abandoned, right? And, and what, what we fear the most, you know, we tend to create what we fear the most, right? So her fear was being abandoned, and that was created by being in this relationship. So that's something to think about that, you know, I'll repeat that, that we create what we fear the most. So she didn't want to be abandoned, but being more of like a mother in the relationship or addressing and confronting things too much pushed him away. She felt bad. It became too painful. And then she had to leave, which was the best thing for her. But she ended up being alone anyways. And when you're in a relationship with someone who's not fully in recovery, or it's too much for them to deal with their own issues and to be there for you, you really are alone, right? Because you're not getting that love and support that you need. So again, it, it's not, there's so much gray here. It is not black and white by any means. Um, so that's the first thing I would say. If you're married to someone and they're getting into recovery, which is wonderful, you know, being married is different. We have more of a commitment, right? It's not like, okay, I'm just going to leave, get divorced, end a story. Like you might have children, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. So I would just say the difference between dating someone and just starting to love somebody is for you to really look and say, is this a life that I want long-term? Can I support this? You know, are we both committed to going forward and being the best we can be? If not, maybe I need to move on. If you're married, then I would just repeat what I said is that get into some kind of help for yourself as well and hold your partner accountable for their own recovery, but make them accountable that they really are going to be in recovery and do whatever they need to do to be sober so that you guys can have a life together, you know, going forward. So, um, that's what I would suggest. And when it's, when you have time and the person has some sobriety under their belt and more stability, you know, pro probably, you know, going to some marital therapy would be really helpful. Just talking about, you know, there's probably some past hurts, possibly trust issues, like she mentioned. You know, how can we communicate healthy? We haven't had a healthy relationship. So those would be a lot of my questions. If I was to meet with her in person, that would, I, or anybody that I would want to ask. And those would be my thoughts and my concerns about going forward with the relationship and why are you in it? A lot of people I hear, a lot of people that I've met with, you know, say, you know, oh, he or she has such great potential. Or I remember what they were like when we first started dating and they're waiting for that potential to come back. And I'm like, I tell people, you know, like, don't hold your breath for potential. Like everyone's got good potential. Okay. I don't believe anybody wants to be an alcoholic or addict. I do not believe that. That is a place people find themselves in that that was not the plan. It's a very painful place to be. So it takes a lot of work to get healthy, right? But that potential, it might not come. I don't know. And it's not your job to wait. And it's not like you owe someone, you know, a year of your life to see if they can get better. Like you need to decide what's best for you now. Sometimes breaking up is what's best. And once that person has more recovery and they're doing well, if you guys want to work it out, then you can work it out. So you really need to think about a lot of things and how this is going to affect your life. So as she was sharing, just to go back to the email for a minute, 
after a year, there was so much built up stress and pain that she couldn't take it anymore. And I'm glad that she got to a place where she found her self-worth, even if it was a little bit. I have said this before. If you've got a little bit of self-esteem left, you need to run with it before you lose all of it. Because that's what I think helped her take that step to go find some therapy to whatever I said for her to hear it and believe it is what made a difference for her, which is really, you know, life-changing, obviously. I was really glad that she acknowledged that even though he was going through a lot, she still had her needs and he consistently dismissed them because he was so wrapped up in what he was going through. And again, I can understand that. That's why sometimes people need some space that if someone's really going through uh, recovery initially, they're not going to probably be able to give a whole lot. You know, it, it's just all consuming at the beginning to stop drinking or taking drugs or getting off of, you know, prescription medicine or whatever the addiction is that you have to be able to probably hold your own space and feel good enough that saying I can give my partner this space and support him or her and know that all my needs won't get met. But there's an expectation at some point that it's going to be more of an equal relationship. So that's something to keep in, in mind as well. So again, it's, it's such a personal, you know, case by case that again, you know, what I'm saying is lots of shades of gray. So I'm not saying to leave someone you're with or to get back with someone you're with. You really need to look at the bigger picture and see what everybody's intentions are and your level of emotional health to be able to deal with these changes. Again, luckily, things worked out for me and my husband. Again, he's been in recovery for years. He's still part of the program. He still uh, gives back. And um, it's been a really good foundation for him and for our marriage as well. So there's lots and lots of miracles out there. Lots of things work out great. But each person has to look at their own part. And as she said, you know, she wasn't the best girlfriend. She doesn't feel proud of the anger that she felt when she found alcohol stashed in the apartment. But you know, and lashing out. But I understand that, you know, that we react off our moods, right? That's part of our issue, right? Is we feel something and then we react. And when we're angry, the emotions underlying that tend to be feeling hurt, frustrated, scared. And I'm sure she felt all those things. You find the alcohol, it's scary. He's still drinking. You're frustrated, still drinking, whatever lies went along with that. And really hurt because you feel like you're not important because they're not staying sober and it's easy to make it about ourselves so you're yelling they're trying to deal with their addiction i mean it's it's a lot to manage and if you don't have healthy communication you know how to deal with this and if you don't understand addiction it can be very personal and very hurtful and that's why it's so hard to walk through this if you really don't have the knowledge or support that you need so having to walk through the resentment uh, the anger, he called her insane. You know, again, this is all just through all the fighting. Obviously, that's what she needed. And again, she hit her bottom to decide, like, I need to move forward. She found a therapist. She knew she needed support. And even though she's heartbroken, the fact that she sees a way forward means that she knows that there's help. And I hope that in her therapy, she'll explore why was she in this relationship? Was there some codependency going on? Did she think she could fix him? You know, what was or what were the issues that kept her there that long? Because every day things are probably happening. You know, every day things happen in our relationship. I just said to a client recently, we were talking about, you know, his marriage. And, you know, I said, if you want something to last forever, you need to work on it forever. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, I got to work on it forever. Like, you know, I know work doesn't always work doesn't, you know, isn't the best word. I, I don't 
have a better one for the moment. <laughs> but, you know, working is just being mindful. You know, what can I do today to be the best partner I can be? What can I do today to be there for myself? So sometimes being the best partner is taking care of you. It's not just that you're doing something for your partner, but, you know, saying to yourself, what can I do today to be the best wife or girlfriend or husband or boyfriend that I can be? It might be just a little, you know, hey, have a nice day. How was your day? Maybe you do the dishes, you, you know, do a little errand or you're making dinner. Like it doesn't have to be these big things. It could just be the little stuff that we feel acknowledged by our partners, right? Or that when you're taking good care of yourself, whatever that looks like for you, that's going to help you be a better partner because you're taking care of your emotional and physical health. And that's all that self-care, right? It's not selfish. It's self-care, which allows you to be the best you can be and obviously a better partner, right? So I know there's a lot that we can do and a lot of choices we have. And we have to be responsible for our own mental health. It's not our partner's responsibility to make us happy. You know, we want to be happy and our partner adds to that. I always say it's like cherry on the cupcake, right? That I'm happy. I manage my emotions. I manage my anxiety. I manage my worries. And my partner's there to help me and support me. But my partner cannot manage my anxiety. And that's what happens in a lot of relationships is partners are managing each other's emotions. And that's that codependency. And that's just not healthy. Because if you're managing your partner's emotions, then they're not managing them, right? And that's exhausting. And they need to learn how to figure out what they're thinking, right? Which is making them feel the way they're feeling, which affects their behaviors and their physical reactions, right? There's our CBT right there. And then obviously the environment is the relationship you're in, right? And your home and everybody else that's in your life. So I hope this gives some clarity and I hope I answered all the questions in her email. I know when I responded back, um, I didn't address every single question. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to talk about, you know, this is real life and how CBT comes into play. That she obviously had some thoughts. Just looking for a podcast was like, I need some help. I can't do this alone. I feel horrible. And if I'm sobbing uncontrollably for a week, I obviously have some issues that I have to look at. So the thinking right, is I need some help because I'm depressed, caused the behavior to find the podcast, you know, it resonated with her, thank goodness. And then another behavior was she picked up a phone and she found a therapist and made an appointment and she showed up. And and just showing up is the first step. You got to do the work. Just showing up is the first step, but that's not enough. You really got to take suggestion. Again, my clients, we use the Mind Over Mood book and some other books and they're doing the work. And when we get on, you know, we start our session. My first question is I ask about the homework. What did you get done? I ask for different scales and scores my clients are doing to monitor their progress. You know, that's my first question I start with because I'm really wanting them to get in the habit of doing the work and learning the CBT tools so they can get better quick. It doesn't take long, you guys, if you put the time in. You can really have a quick shift. And something happened here for my emailer that there was a shift and she took some big, significant steps. And even though she feels heartbroken, right, she's not acting on it. She's not doing the mood behavior like I'm heartbroken. I'm just going to go back or I'm heartbroken or, you know, or believe that she is insane because she's not. And of course, he said that just out of anger and his own pain. But she didn't believe that, which was important. And she knew like, yeah, I need to get help but I'm not insane. I'm actually really, really strong. 
because I'm able to step outside of this and say, this isn't working. And it's really not good for either of them. She wasn't helping him at that point either, right? So if I can honor and respect myself, I will bring people into my life that will honor and respect me. And I need to be mindful and I need to realize what am I thinking about myself that gives me permission to take care of myself or what am I thinking about myself that gives me permission to stay in a toxic, unhealthy relationship. And it's never your job to fix anybody, ever, ever, ever. That's not your job. Your job is to, quote, fix yourself and work on you. And that energy and that healthiness, again, will bring people into your life. So I want to just review a few of the podcasts off the top of my head that might be helpful that relate to this email. And this podcast is um, my podcast on core beliefs. I believe the other one about my husband in recovery is called The Surprise Blessing. I know I have one on honoring yourself. Those are some that you can get started with to understand what do I need to do in this relationship and to understand about addiction as well. And I know I have some other ones on it, you know, family members with substance abuse um, or growing up as a child of a, uh, if you're an adult child of alcoholics. So again, I have a lot of podcasts out there that interweave with this podcast to address some other important issues that I hope might be helpful. And we always have our foundation of our CBT. Whenever I have a negative mood, what am I thinking about? I got to figure out why am I feeling desperate, scared, afraid to be alone? What's that fear about? What are my thoughts? You know, I can't handle being alone. You know, I'll just crumble being alone. I'll be too depressed. You know, things like that. Those thoughts are your hot thoughts, right? Your thoughts that aren't 100% true and to start challenging them. And then also building your community of support. So when you're having a weak moment and you want to call that person, you know, or go back, you have other people to call that can help walk you through that and get you kind of on stable ground again. So I hope this was helpful. I'm going to end by just sharing my reply that I sent after I got this email. So I just said, thank you so much for reaching out and sharing your story. It was heartfelt and brought tears to my eyes. I've been in your shoes having to leave someone who is so unhealthy for my own mental health. You're courageous and so brave. I'm honored to know my podcasts have been so helpful. Keep moving forward one day at a time and you'll find love and happiness again because you're learning to love yourself. And I say that to all of you that are listening. Take it one day at a time. Love yourself. The happiness will come from that because it starts with it starts with each of us loving and caring for ourselves and having self-respect so that others will treat us that way as well. So that's it for today. I hope this was helpful for you. If you have any questions, you can always reach me at mycbtpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at mycbtpodcast, on Facebook under Dr. Julie Osborne, and my website is mycognitivebehavioraltherapy.com. I have a bunch of videos and newsletters and lots of good information on there, as well as uh, my office number. And I love hearing from you guys. I'm honored whenever I get an email that you took the time. <laughs> um, and regarding Finding the Mind Over Mood book by Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Podesky, um, once you click on the podcast here and you see the transcription, if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see a section where you can just click on the Mind Over Mood book and it'll take you to Amazon and you can buy it so you know that you're getting the right one. And using the, you know, the book helps you kind of get more in depth about the CBT and how it can be helpful and how you can use it in your life. If you like this episode, please hit the subscribe button to make sure you'll never miss another one. Please share this with anyone you think it would be helpful with. I appreciate you joining me. Stay safe and I'll see you next week. Take care.